this weekend, my wife and I had to go back down to San Diego for a high school event. She was being honored by our old high school as a distinguished oh. graduate of the high school. Wow. Really nice. So we drive down to San Diego, we visit family, and we go to the event. And my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law join us because they were also graduates of that high school. Yeah. So they joined us for dinner. The four of us went out and uh, <laughs> we run into my old high school football coach. Now, both my brother-in-law and I played football for this high school, but you need to know some physical descriptions. My brother, <laughs> my brother is a gigantically strong person. He physically has hands that can like crush a can. He's really, yeah. he's, he's just a gigantic guy. He's strong. He's, and in high school, he was even stronger. He had one of those huge necks. He was a linebacker, right? Um, I, on the other hand, was incredibly fast. I could run a 4-4-40. I was really fast, incredibly yeah. strong quads. But I was not a big dude. I weighed like 170 pounds wet. You know, I was I was not yeah. that big of a guy. And in our league, we played, especially against Oceanside, a wonderfully kind group of Samoan dudes who were gigantic, like literally Junior Seau <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Uh, so anyway, this is all the background you need to know to us running yeah. into my old high school football coach. So. We're talking beforehand, we're holding on to the wine, and we're talking beforehand, and we're like, oh, there's Coach Doyle. Do you think he remembers us? And then we did some mental math, and we're like, well, by this point, he's had like 1,000 or 1,500 players. There's no yeah. way he's going to remember us. Yeah. So we go over to say hi and thank you for your coaching. And my <laughs> brother-in-law, Juan Pablo, says, uh, hey, Coach Doyle, I don't know if you remember. And he immediately goes, oh, my God, Juan Pablo, you were a beast of a player. Oh, wow. You on the field were just tremendous. Oh, God, I, I could remember the takedowns. You were uh, fantastic. I think about you all the time. It's so nice to see you. And then he turns to me and he goes, oh, my God, Dave Kellett, you took one of the worst hits I've ever seen on a football <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I, I still th I still picture that every once in a while. That hit was terrible. Oh my god, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Like you're still limping from it. I mean, to be fair, I lost one of my quadriceps in that hit. I, I now have yeah. a tricep on my left leg. But oh. uh but the fact that after 30 years, he remembers me for the hit that I took and not for the delightful football player that I was. Oh, what a, what a bruiser that was to my ego. Yeah. Like he said to Juan Pablo, oh, you're an amazing, you were a beast on the yeah. field. There's nothing you couldn't do. And then to me, he goes, oh my God, what a punching bag you were basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I still remember the sound it made when he <laughs> hit you. <laughs> it sounded like a seagull in a blender. It was, it was just the sound of someone who should not have been on a football field. That's what it was. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody. Welcome to Comic Lab, the show about giving up sports and making comics. <laughs> and giving up sports and making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the webcomics handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We've got an action-packed show for everybody this week. Uh, but before I, met, I jump into it, I want to say you could be watching this show live over at patreon.com slash comic lab. We have the Live Gab group joining us every week for the live stream with a concurrent uh, chat going on on the side. So we're able to answer questions before the show in the middle break and after the show. And there's a running commentary all the way. And if you happen to miss the live stream for Life Lover Learning, uh, it is archived on the, the live streams archived for you to watch later on. So do join us there at patreon.com slash comic lab. But you know what, Brad, that football hit one thing that I should mention, because <laughs> this is like the uh, what is the I, I forget the name of the um, uh, the Chinese story. But there's an ancient Chinese myth where the guy, the horse is crippled. And so the son can't go to war. But then because the son can't go to war, you know what I mean? It's a good news, bad news. Who can say I, I'm forgetting what the name of the guy is um, in the in the story. But. So I tear off my quadricep on my leg, right? You're like, oh, what terrible news. Oh, you'll that's yeah. that's a really bummer thing. I was out for the season, never could play football again. So yeah. I decided to do the school play, Brad. But that's oh. where I met my wife, was doing that no. school play. Really? So Gloria and I hung out all the time, laughed all the time, had incredible conversations because I tore my quadricep off playing oh. football. You fell in love because you were a theater kid. Yeah. 
You guys were theater kids together. That's amazing. I yeah, we were doing a terrible guys. play called The Mad Woman of Shio, which was the worst <laughs> choice for high school. Um, and we laughed the whole time and then started dating thereafter. Uh, all wow. because if you look at it, I tore off the quadricep on my leg. That's amazing. What, you know, you didn't need that dumb quadricep. You needed Gloria. You didn't need that dumb, <laughs> that dumb quadricep. So sure, I couldn't go upstairs right for a year. No big deal. That's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's no skin off my back. Uh, you, but anyway, listen, I, I, I've met Gloria. You came out uh, just fine in that deal. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> you right. came out just fine. That's right. Well, Brad, let me jump us into our first question. And this one's a good one for you to start off with. This comes in from Rainer over at uh, Comic Lab, uh, patreon.com slash comic lab. And he says, hi, Brad and Dave. Uh, uh, is it worth treating a project that will only run for one year as a full webcomic? As a challenge and a way to improve, I'm doing a daily diary comic for one year. I plan to post them on daily on social media and kickstart a collection at the end. However, I'm unsure whether to treat this project as a proper webcomic start promoting it, build a website, etc. While I know how important a website is, it feels like sending people to that one project, which will only last a year, is not as helpful as sending them to my social media, which will continue for future projects. After this year, I plan to start a sci-fi comic, which will likely appeal to a different audience. What would you suggest? Is it worth building a website and an audience for a project that will only last a year. Thank you and love the podcast. So Brad, what kind of question do we have for Rainer? What, what is your answer for him? Well, listen, I think before, before uh, Rainer gets you and I to argue about uh, what kind of an answer we should give, I think first Rainer has to uh, settle the argument that, that they're having with themselves. All right. So there's, because in sentence number one, Rainer says, I'm doing this just for practice. It's just for practice. This is a way to challenge and improve. That's sentence number one. Sentence number two, I'm going to post them on uh, social media and I'm going to kickstart them. Right, right, right. right. Those two things don't fit. <laughs> it's either practice or it's a business. All right. You can't you can't have it both ways. If it's practice, it's practice. Do it for practice. And that's valid. That's wonderful. Uh, go full steam ahead. If it's practice, you're not going to be kickstarting it at the end because uh, it, it, you can, but it's going to fail miserably because kickstarting requires you to do all of those things involved with publishing a webcomic. Right. Uh, uh, posting, not only posting on social media, but reader retention, audience building, community building, all of that stuff that goes along with web publishing. You've got to do that along the way or else that Kickstarter is going to fall flat. It right. just doesn't happen. It's, right. You've got to build it. OK, so first Rainer's got to decide, am I really which which is the right sentence, sentence one or sentence two? Are you doing this for practice or are you doing this uh, as a way of starting a business? That's true. I, I think that's a perfect way to summarize it. And and listen, I suppose when you're jumping into it mentally, you can kind of have a, a foot in both lanes. Like, yes, it is practice. Yes, you are. You're doing it. And I see why you're feeling it because it's not it's not solidified yet in your brain. But I think Brad's on the right path there, which is that if you're going to be kickstarting it, really, this is a professional project. This is something that yeah. that's on your journey to becoming a pro. And I think there is a workaround here that is uh, might be of use to you, which is um, you can take a page out of a, the couple cartoonists that we know who, instead of launching a project specific page, have launched a website either under their name or under their publishing imprimatur that, you know, the one yep. that they give themselves or um, something that sort of gives an umbrella name, for lack of a mm -hmm. better phrase, to what they are um, talking about. And uh, so anyway, so I've, I've seen like Chris Straub do that. I've seen I'm trying to think of other people that we know, uh, Brad, that, that has done that with their projects. But it's a great way to say, look, this is going to have a place that's going to. By the way, you're going to want this to live on the Web long after yeah. it's done in long after you've yeah. kickstarted. You're going to want it as a resume piece. You're going to want it as, as something that, hey, I like this work. I would like to see more from this artist. And so you've got yeah. it ready to go. So I think you're still going to want to build a Web page. You're still going to want to, by the way, even with the advice of building a web page, do the social media. Yep. Um, and then all three, you're still going to want those legs on the table. Now, when it comes to when I say build a web page, 
I'm not saying build the fanciest thing in the world. You're just going to want mm -hmm. something, you know, and there's basic WordPresses that can do the job for you where they don't have to be pretty. They don't have to be gorgeous. Um, but uh, it's just something to encapsulate uh, your work. And so it has a place to live. Yeah. Another guy that does this that we know of, Dave, is Kevin uh, McShane that we had in the show just recently. His, his uh, URL is Kev Comics, and it's, it's, a, it's a umbrella site, all right? But right. another thing that we, another thing I want to talk about here is, uh, I, I, I'm going to guess that Rainer just doesn't want to build a website. Because <laughs> yeah. when I read through Rainer's uh, uh, question, it's like, I don't have to build a website, do I? I mean, I, I understand it's important, but I don't have to do it, do I? Because think of what he said. He goes, uh, he goes uh, it feels like sending people to one project, which will only last a year, is not helpful if I send them to the website, right? right. Well, listen, I, I got bad news for you. It's also not helpful to send them to your social media if you're going to change from one thing to another. It's the same exact thing. <laughs> there's, there's only one problem uh, or, or only one difference uh, is social media is a push button solution and building a website is going to take work, But it, it, which is why I understand you don't want to do it. But if you're building an audience and sending them to your social media off of this diary comic, they're also going to feel disjointed when all of a sudden you start doing sci-fi. It's not a bad thing. It's it's a thing. It's something you need to address. It's it's neither good nor bad. Uh, but it's something that you need to address. And it's going to be the same thing with the website itself, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. when As soon as you say it's neither good nor bad, I remembered the name of the Chinese proverb I was trying to say before. <laughs> it's the proverb of Sai Wang, which is one of my favorite in the world that I got it wrong. It's not that the horse broke its legs, Brad. The horse ran off. Anyway, look yeah. it up. S-A-I. W-E-N-G, the proper of Sai Wang. It's one of my favorite in all of human history. It's a great idea. Here's one more thing, Dave, I want to mention, and that's this. Uh, Rainer wants to practice. He wants to practice. Uh, so I, I, I say practice. And if you're going to practice and, and, and take that mindset, which is valid, mm -hmm. practice the whole thing. Practice. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right? Yes. <laughs> practice uh, publishing. Practice to make it getting good publishing uh, uh, out there and, and what it takes for you to do good publishing. Practice getting a website up. This Okay, so this isn't going to be your, your final thing, right? You're going to do sci-fi next right. year. Great. Right. This is, you're going to, when, when the time comes for you to set up that website for the sci-fi comic, think of how much better you're going to be when you practice on this diary comic yeah, to get the boy, website set up. Yeah, boy, what a great up. thought, Brad. That's think really smart. Think about all the practice, because this whole thing that we do isn't just art and writing. It's art and writing and business and all of that stuff. That's the whole idea of being an independent. We're doing all this stuff. So it's important for you to practice your craft. Absolutely. But take this next year and also have a mind to practicing all of what comes with being an independent comics artist. And that includes web publishing. And that includes a website. That's a really, that's the perfect summarizing thought, Brad, because basically you're saying, look, cosplay is being a pro, even if you're not a pro. Right. Try on all the different hats now on a low stakes, quote unquote, yes. practicing project. Uh, so you'll see what it's like to do website maintenance. You'll see what it's like to maintain a social media schedule. You'll see what it's like to prepare files for print. You'll see what all these things do. You're right. That's a really good way yeah. to, to say it. You are practicing. And so practice all the way through. And then when you're done, practice a Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah. And then practice making money. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or practice, you know, you practice what that's going to be like. And, and you know what it, again, Dave's comment, low stakes. That's exactly how you keep this in mind. It's low stakes. This one is for learning. And then if that Kickstarter falls flat or if it doesn't go, you learn what you need to learn from there. And then when you do start that sci-fi comic, think of how much better position you're going to be in to start it with all this practice you've got under your belt. You know, this goes back to something that I, I try to say a lot, which is you want your career to be ever increasing, but yeah. manageably sized mistakes. 
And yeah. this is your chance to make this a manageably sized mistake. And I say that because the first time you make pins, that'll there'll be a mistake in there somehow in the process. Yeah. The first time you do a book, there'll be a mistake somewhere in there. The oh, first yeah. time you do a website, there'll be the mistakes in there. But you want them all to be manageably sized. And by that, I mean, mm -hmm. you don't want to have bet the farm on some project that then ruins you. And we've, we've actually seen that, Brad, haven't we? A couple of yeah. times where someone <laughs> oh, yeah. went all in on something that, that didn't work out either for their own causing or because something else caused it. So you want your mistakes to be manageably sized. So that's why I really like Brad's idea of, yeah. you're basically trying on the hat of what it is to be a professional cartoonist and doing it holistically across this project is the way to do it. Yeah, and that means doing the things that you wanna do and doing the things that you don't wanna do because that also comes along with being a pro. You're going to have to do all that stuff. You're going to have to keep track of your business expenses too <laughs> and, yeah. and take care of those when tax time comes. If you're going to do it, you might as well do the whole enchilada and, and practice all those things. Uh, the good, uh, the, the bad news is you're going to be doing a lot of stuff that maybe you didn't want to do. The good news is when the rubber meets the road and you actually start your project that you're serious about, you're going to be in so much better position. Amen, Brad. Amen. All right, Brad, our next question comes in over at patreon.com slash comic lab, and it goes a little something like this. We've seen so, so many web comics go off the rails due to issues with the creator's health or personal life or simply not having the drive to do it as anything more than a hobby or a side gig. Do you think the web comics industry would benefit from a more corporate structure where syndicates could provide editors and marketing? This yeah. is a big and loaded question, Brad. So <laughs> there's kind of two parts here, which is that some web comics go off the rails for huh. reasons implying that uh, they're not having the personal drive or self-organization, right? Yeah. And yeah. then the second part is now as an answer to that, do we go corporate or do we sort of invite in a corporation to take over for us? And the interesting part there is that there are three problems identified, right? Health, personal life, having the drive. And there right. are two solutions that are offered, editors and marketing. Uh, I, now, I don't know how an editor solves a problem with a creator's health. And right. I don't know how a marketing person does anything for that creator's personal life uh, or personal drive, right? Right. The, 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 the solutions don't affect the problems. But uh, the reason I put this one in the queue for today's show is that we did have a, a Patreon backer who loves it when we talk about comics history. And I'm I, and, and he's I, I love anytime you get a chance to talk about this stuff. I love the history and the, the, these two things fit right in together. And uh, I want to tell you why, because it fits into the, the overall theme of this podcast. We've got over a hundred years of comics history. The overwhelming majority of it uh, shows that creators don't fare so well under the corporate structure of comics. Right. 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 We, we've got hundreds of, we've got uh, going back to comic books where we, we can identify people that made amazing creative uh, uh, input to, to properties that are billion dollar industries today. Who, those people never really got any of that uh, largesse in their in their own personal lives because they signed work made for higher contracts and they knew what they were signing at the time and they just didn't know it was going to be this big uh, you know fifty years later uh, and and we see and I'm not even going to argue whether like the Jack Kirby family should or should not have a piece of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because that's not the point the point is. They knew the contract. We all knew the contract when we see it. Okay. Or at least you should have a lawyer explain it to you. Uh, it's not a surprise that they don't have the copyright. They don't have the uh, intellectual property rights. Uh, and at the same time, it's not, uh, it, it, we can't be surprised today in 2020 and 2023 when <laughs> once again, if we get a corporate contract, we don't get to be surprised that that contract is out to put us on the, on the short end of the stick, right? We've right. got a hundred years. I could, I could argue that maybe there was a little, uh, a couple decades in there that newspaper syndication was, uh, it turned out really well for a handful of cartoonists, Right. For a while, uh, Schultz and Jim Davis and, and Mort Walker, uh, there was a handful of them who really made out very well under newspaper syndication. 
But by and large, the corporate structure, that corporate entity has not been good for creators. It just it just hasn't. Uh, it's one thing to be Jack Kirby signing that contract in 1950s or 1960s. Uh, it's another thing for you and me in 2023 to be looking at a contract and thinking that somehow, magically, it's going to go better for us. That The truth of the matter is, it's not. And we've got 100 years of, if, if, you, don't, if you don't believe me, if, you're, if you think, well, that's just Geiger being grumpy, just type the words uh, comic creator into GoFundMe. Just, just go to GoFundMe.com and just, just, just type the word comic creator in there. And if that doesn't give you enough, which, by the way, a spoiler alert, it's going to give you enough. Put in the word comic book inker, put in the word comic book writer, uh, cartoonist. You see where I'm going. You'll see a laundry list. You, you won't be able to read them all of all of the comics creators who did stuff that we were amazed by in the Silver Age and the Golden Age. Names that you're familiar with, creative geniuses who need to go fund me if they so much as want to get their teeth cleaned this week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit large with that, but you see what I mean? If anything serious, those corporations did not take care of those creators. Those creators were uh, expected to take care of themselves. Well, there's a name for somebody who's expected to take care of themselves. That's an independent comics creator. That's why Dave and I so passionately talk about the importance of being an independent. Does it mean that we've got it all set, that our retirement is all in the bank, that we've got everything, all, all the questions answered? Absolutely not. But we know one thing. It couldn't get worse. <laughs> it cannot get worse as an independent uh, than, than anything that we've got because under uh, a, a corporate structure, we do so much worse and we've got a hundred years and more proving it to us. Yeah. So first of all, I want to completely co-sign and underline what Brad just said, which is we have at this point about 120, maybe 130 years of yeah. cartoonists consistently ending up in the poorhouse at the end yeah. of a year, of, uh, a career of productivity, right? So whether it's any of the cartoonists that work for Hearst or whether it's uh, uh, people that work for early Marvel DC or their or their proto versions uh, or people that, that, that <laughs> anyway, long story short, uh, it has not been beneficial in the great uh, uh, scheme of things for cartoonists to pair up with corporations uh, to, yeah. to find, get their work out of the world. But here's the thing, I wanna go back to this. You had mentioned three things that, uh, so many web comics go off the rails due to creator's health. Okay, Brad's covered that, a corporation's not mm -hmm. gonna help you with that. Or a personal life, corporation's not gonna help you with that. Or right. simply not having the, the drive street. to do it as anything more than a hobby or a side gig. Okay, yeah. so that third one, conceivably, a corporation yeah. will help you find it in an externality, in the sense that you need someone to yell at you. But yeah. here's the thing. Okay, so they got the webcomic out. It's on time, it's it's out every Wednesday. It's growing, they're mm -hmm. doing all the work. It's out, and because they're continuing to yell at you, you're doing it next Wednesday and the Wednesday following yeah. that. But then at the end of it all, so it got out to quote your goal. That was the goal was that it didn't it didn't die, right? Yes, right, great, right. it didn't die, it got out. But at the end of it, the artist doesn't have anything to show for it. They're no. going on. They're literally going on GoFundMe consistently in history. And by the way, yeah. sometimes it doesn't even take until the end of their career. We've seen people do GoFundMe's for, hey, I need to sue my my publisher. They won't let me out of this contract. Or, hey, I need to right. sue these people. It, it's happening right now. I could point you to four GoFundMe's of people that signed a contract they shouldn't have uh, mm -hmm. that got into it. So what I'm yeah. saying is, even if we take the argument that the corporation instilled in you the desire to put out a regularly scheduled webcomic and you got it out there and you did it, it it's that's such a short term gain for a long term loss in signing away what is essentially a personal uh, trainer to get you to do your webcomic that you want to do anyway, you know? Right. Well, there's a problem when you've got a corporation that helps you take something away from a hobby or a side gig. It becomes a business. And then you uh, live and die by that business, right? You, right? If you're still that same person that can't hit the deadline, that business is going to kick you out to the curb. They're going to keep doing that thing that they bought the rights to. You're just not going to be involved anymore. Right. But th right. there's something even more important I want to say there. It says uh, not a hobby or a side gig. Here's the problem with that. Hobbies and side gigs are valid. Hobbies and side gigs are very, very valid pursuit. And if you're doing this at home as, as a hobby and you're just enjoying comics, 
That's super valid. This does not have to be a money-making thing. It can be a hobby. It can be something that just brings you joy. Same thing with the side gig. If, if you're doing this and it's a side gig and it brings you what we used to call pizza and beer money, right? Uh, that's valid too. That's valid. And it doesn't ever have to be more than that. Right. It's we, we, there's so much of a, of a, of an overwhelming push uh, in today's day and age that everything has to make a profit. Everything's got to be a hustle. Everything's got to be a business. And, and, and listen, what uh, the, the, the main thrust of this show is, uh, is, is, if you want to make this a business, giving you the tools and the and the best uh, chances for success that you have. But that doesn't mean that everything's got to be a business and some things can be a hobby and some things can be just something that brings you joy. That's valid. We don't we don't take enough time to stop and say that uh, as maybe we should. But those things are valid, too. If you're really doing them again, if, if it's going to be a hobby, you also can't say, well, I'm sorry, I'm not making money from this. You can't have it both ways. But if it's if you're make, doing this and you're getting joy and you're happy about that that's good. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. Yeah. Uh, although I got to say um, the desire and the ability to um, make a living professionally from comics is not, it's unfortunate, but it's not evenly distributed among the population of cartoonists in this regard. Let me tell you what I mean. Mm -hmm. If you took Bill Watterson in year two of his comics career and said, you can only produce comics for the hate Ashbury system, which is that San, yeah. San Francisco underground comics. Or conversely, you took Robert Crumb and you said, you can only produce a syndicated comic. They would probably flounder and they, their yeah. career might not work, right? So some, what I'm getting at there is some cartoonists only fit with a certain system. The, the, when the upshot of that, what I'm getting to is that there might be the greatest cartoonist who ever lived right now working. Their line work is amazing. Uh, her, her writing is beyond par. Uh, her coloring yeah. is fantastic. Her lettering, her, her paneling, it's, everything's perfect. But she hates business. She can't do business, doesn't want to, and doesn't <laughs> like to do self-marketing. So she might not succeed in the same way that Watterson might not have succeeded in Hate ashbury in the same mm -hmm. way that Robert Crumb might not have succeeded in syndication. It is the unfortunate truth is no matter what system you set up for cartoonists, by the way, this is also true for corporate comics. No yep. matter what system you set up, there will always be a percentage for whom they personally don't fit in that larger system and can't make a career of it. And that goes yeah. back, by the way, until the beginning bits of history. Like when you had patronage in the Renaissance, if you mm -hmm. weren't good at sucking up to one of the one of the rich Italian families <laughs> that happened to yeah. own your city, you didn't have a career. So you might right. have been the best artist in the world. Boy, you could have painted the most amazing chiascuro on that church wall. It would have been amazing. But because the, the local uh, nobleman didn't like you, you didn't have a career. Mm -hmm. What I'm getting at is no matter what system you set up for artists to make a career, there will always be a percentage of people. But what Brad and I are proposing here is that the idea of learning, even stumblingly making mistakes as yeah. you learn the business of owning and controlling your own career is yes. better in, in the long term for that artist than ever signing over things. And I'll give you an example. People keep asking me like, hey, Dave, why, why don't you just do the Webtoons thing? They're, they're asking for non-exclusive rights. Um, you can quit at any time. And I'll tell you why, because with Drive, it would be immensely low hanging fruit to immediately just put Drive up on Webtoons. I mm -hmm. guarantee I would drive traffic. I would, within a year, I would have more patrons, but I, I've since hired a lawyer. They're actually reviewing it now, an IP lawyer, and they're, but, the, there's two terms that make me nervous in the Webtoons contract, and this is the kind of bullshit that corporations have pulled forever. One is yeah. the word irrevocable, right? The, yeah. the contract that you sign with Webtoons is irrevocable. That's in the contract. The second one is non-exclusive rights. They are claiming non-exclusive rights. Now, granted, that's better than claiming exclusive rights, which is what Marvel right. and DC used to do back in the day. But you go ahead and try to sell your property to a certain publisher or to Disney as a media property or to a video game company afterward, and Webtoons is still claiming non-exclusive rights. Guess what? You can't do shit with that down the road. Yeah. So yes, yeah. am I getting short? Am I potentially getting short-term success for Drive if I go the corporate route and sign up with Webtoons? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But am I potentially screwing long-term Dave Kellett and forcing him to have to do a GoFundMe thirty years from now because I can't sell Drive? Yes. 
Yes, right. that's also true. So anyway, so that's why I'm hiring a lawyer because I don't trust the corporate system that makes corp the cartoonists see the short-term gain but lose the long-term gain. Sorry, Brad, that was a bit of a run. I apologize. <laughs> no, and it, but it, but it was a perfect point. And I'm, I'm just going to tie this up real quick because it comes up all the time as we uh, bring this first segment to a close. And that is this. Don't write us and ask what Dave's lawyer said. <laughs> he no, can't tell no. you. That's Dave's lawyer. Dave's lawyer is is working on this for Dave. He can't then turn around and give that lawyer's work away for free nope. on the show. It's it's not it's not uh, uh, ethical to but do I'll that. But I'll tell you what, Brad, I'll give you a little secret. I should have the results back from his contract review. Let's see, it's Tuesday now. I should have it back in two days. So oh. if, if let's say by late April or May, you don't see Dave on Webtoons, take that as a hint. Take it as a hint. <laughs> hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. Well, Brad, I got an update for the show, and this goes back probably a decade. Uh, uh, Brad, yeah. I just want to tell you, you won the bet. You won, won a decade-long bet, my friend. <laughs> you finally did it, and I'm so proud Fantastic. of you. Fantastic! I uh, This past weekend, you texted me uh, out of nowhere, and you go, Hey, did you know that it's Emerald City Comic Con this weekend? And I said... <laughs> I said, oh, my gosh, I have no idea. Not even on my radar. I didn't even know it was this, this weekend. And you said, yeah, me too. And here's huh. why that's Brad winning a decade long bet. Yeah. He has been trying and, and cajoling and lovingly nudging as a friend to try to get me to step away from Emerald City Comic Con. Yeah. Because I'll be honest, emotionally, I think I was still chasing a dragon of what that show was for me a decade ago. Yeah. But it had become less and le while it was still profitable, it had become less and less profitable. Mm -hmm. And the sort of corporate shenanigans that since Reed bought it out had become more and more noticeable. Yeah. And uh, it had just become more of a hassle to, to do the show uh, at the end of the day for the return that it brought. And Brad finally won the day. And I not only did I not do Emerald City Comic Con, I didn't even know what weekend it was on. So you've won, Brad. Yeah. You have yeah. won the day, my friend. Oh, well, that's I, I, I remember that bet. And I've, I, I, do I remember right? We put two hundred dollars on it. right? <laughs> <laughs> and listen, with compounded interest over 10 years that you're yeah. setting pretty, yeah, my friend. No, but I, it, I, it was even surprising to me. That we didn't that I didn't even know until I saw it popping up on my Twitter feed that this was the weekend that it was because uh, I've, I've I've checked out of that stuff a long time ago. Uh, but then when I uh, when I, I, I mentioned I, I it was like, that's funny. Dave hasn't mentioned this. So that's why I texted you about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I think that honestly, I think I am down to doing one comic convention mm -hmm a year now. And I think that might be the rest of my career is just the one comic yeah. convention. And that for, again, for very specific reasons, and it's worth reminding people, I do that one because I'm from San Diego. I have San Diego family that I can stay with. Uh, I can drive down. I can load up my Honda Odyssey with stuff, drive down. So my costs are minimal is what I'm getting at yeah. here. Um, and I frankly enjoy it because as you, as you know, I went to high school in San Diego. So I go and I see friends, I see family. It's a kind of a reunion. Um, so there's a lot of reasons why I personally will continue to do San Diego Comic-Con, even though, Brad, uh, that booth is getting more and more expensive at San Diego. I think I'm paying oh. 3700 bucks for the booth this year. Oh. Holy so, cats. Um, yeah. So that's by far. My, like if I had to fly and pay for a hotel in addition to that, there's no, no way I would do it. Um, yeah. So uh, I um, anyway, I will continue to do San Diego Comic-Con. But Brad, Emerald City Comic-Con is off the table for me. Uh, well, I'm, I'm actually glad to hear that because I think that's a smart move. 
Uh, and also, I know we've got another update for today, and it has to do with uh, you having some uh, some nice little success over there on Reddit with a post that had 250,000 views. Am I getting that right? Oh, yeah. And so, listen, this is this is um, it's this, it's not like front page numbers in terms of getting mm-hmm. to the front page of Reddit. But I wanted to share this with you. Uh, because this update is basically just giving you hard tech numbers that you can kind of work with in terms of mentally framing what you're trying to do with Reddit or with Twitter or with Instagram, Um, which is, again, this goes back to our saying we say all the time, your career is a marathon, it's not a sprint, right? So just so folks can see the numbers involved, on a sample Reddit post I did last week, um, I think, and it only briefly got to the top of of our comics, right? Didn't even get to the front page, I don't think. But it yeah. had two hundred and fifty thousand total views of that comic, which mm-hmm. is pretty good. It's uh, it's not, not front page good, but it's pretty good. But um, out of that, Brad, out of two hundred and fifty thousand follow uh, uh, page views, how many followers do you think I got? Oh, and God, would you say followers. that it's less than five? Because yes, it was four followers. <laughs> I got four followers <laughs> on Reddit out of two hundred fifty thousand views. Oh my god! And goodness. I mention that because they're not even income followers. If you if you right. know what I'm getting at there, they're not Patreon folks. They're just followers on Reddit. So two hundred fifty thousand right. people saw a comic, and four people decided to follow me. And yeah. I actually think that's kind of descriptive for what most of your social media or viral comics will be like, don't you think? Yep. I I I did a bad job of talking about it last episode, or maybe it was the episode before last. Uh, I, uh, but I but I I want to bring this around again because I really have been trying to adjust my own frame of reference for social media in which I, of of course you always want to get engagement, but Mm -hmm. I'm not quite as focused on engagement as I used to be for so many reasons. Part of which is that we're in such a late stage social media that it's easy to see how this stuff is really getting throttled. They're really trying to push you towards pay to play. And and part of that has to do with throttling your engagement. And that, that's fine. Um, It's, it's the nature of the beast, but what I'm really focusing on uh, and what I'm really tracking more so than engagement these days is views. It's just the straight up views. How many people are seeing this comic? I don't care if they like it. I don't care if they share it. Uh, Those, and by the way, those are things that I really can't control anyway, because how, how many, be honest with me, how many times you read a comic that you made you laugh on Reddit or Twitter or wherever and you didn't take the time to like it a lot of times. And if it, a lot of times you'll take a look and see that it's got a thousand likes and you're like, nah, they don't need my like, they don't need <laughs> one more, you know, there's, there's a whole... limited supply of likes. I'm, I'm yeah, keeping these likes yeah, for later. I'm keeping my like, uh, <laughs> so, I, so I, I think our, our, uh, the basic user experience with uh, social media is evolving too. And so in, instead of playing this game that I'm constantly going to get disappointed by, yeah. I've been starting to just focus on views, just focus on how many people have seen this thing. After that, it's up to the strength of my work. It's uh, if I've done good comics, if I've done good web comics, if I'm I'm doing a long form story, right? If I made sure that there was an entry point for a stranger in that passage mm-hmm. and that there, this was a significant reading experience, if I've done that, then I've, I'm doing my job and the rest is up to making incremental changes and for it like incremental additions to my audience as time goes by. Right. Right. I'm not going to get 250,000 new readers next week on Reddit, but I might get four and four is okay because the nature of this game is, is showing up every day over and over and over again. We all live for that viral moment and we're all disappointed when it's, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And so let's let's project this out. So if I I did this comic, it it had, you know, middling success, 250,000 people saw it. Four people signed up for me. Right. Yeah. Out of those four. In two years or so, I might be able to convince one of those four after Mm -hmm. two years of consistent, high quality work to back one of my Kickstarters or to join me on Patreon, Mm -hmm. which is just continuing the thought that this is a marathon, not a sprint. It's not that I'm instantly able to uh, to convince 250,000 people to follow me, nor especially so to, to buy something from me, right? That's yeah. gonna take time. It takes, like yes. Brad said, showing up, doing consistent high quality work. But I also wanna say that this echoes the previous discussion we had last week 
where we said, don't pay for advertising. No. Because yes. look at the numbers that I just presented to you, right? Those yeah. were people that were willingly and freely seeing my comic. 250,000 people, four of which said, yeah. I would like to see more of this person. Now, mm -hmm. imagine had I paid Brad to get in front of 250,000 right. people. Now I'm in a losing proposition, right? So the, the idea here is that if the work is not strong enough to bring people in, then that's just mm -hmm. a matter of working more, getting better. You're yes. doing, and you're yes. going to keep continuing to produce comics on a regular schedule with an ever improving eye of your editorial uh, eye in terms of making both the line art and the writing sharper and crisper. And then with time, you'll convince one, you'll convince 10, you'll convince 100, yep. you'll convince 1,000 people to start following you and start uh, chipping in on uh, your career. Yeah. And you also didn't need to hire a marketing manager for that. Right. No. I mean, let's let's face it. Let that marketing manager. I, this this is all about putting the work up. But, you know, putting it out. You, you, everybody's all I want to get my work out there. I want to get my work out there. The, the answer to the question is you are getting your work out there. The problem is that it's it's not it's either not getting traction or yes. it's not getting traction the way you think it should. Like you're 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 expecting these big waves of readers and you're not getting them. Uh, but what, what, I, but just it, what Dave said, he got four, re, four new followers on Reddit that last week. That's great. That's fantastic. This week he might get a couple more and next week he might get a couple more, right? It's, it's all about building that up incrementally. None of this, none of this is get rich quick. Uh, no. five, five weird tricks to build your audience to a thousand uh, over the weekend. Uh, none of this is that. And if it, then there's lots of people out there offering that I can get you 10,000 uh, readers uh, in, in a month. And here's how you're going to do it. Uh, you know, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, deep down, that's bullshit. The way you do this is consistently, frequently putting out good work, doing the best comic you can, and then showing up and doing it tomorrow, and then showing up and doing it tomorrow over and over and over again. Over the course of years, you're going to build a career. There's, yep. there's no shortcut. No, there's no shortcut to that. Because listen, let's say that I got four people that last week on Twitter, four people on Reddit, four people on Instagram, yep. 12 people last week, uh, 52 weeks of that, uh, you know, a couple hundred people there. Uh, of those, I can sell to a couple of dozen. That helps by the end of this year, the next Kickstarter that I do, right? Yeah. So it, none of yeah. this sounds gangbusters until nope. you project it out into either Patreon or Kickstarter and a percentage of those people will jump in. And then again, as Brad said, it's going to take years, but now having done 20 years and for you if you're on your five or seven or ten you're going to start seeing the results of all those days of showing up and sharing the comic but i just want to say just a reminder don't pay for advertising and don't expect even a viral hit to suddenly yeah. be an overnight success for you it's consistent quality work produced on some form of regular schedule that will get you where you want to go well, okay, time to switch gears, Brad. We got a question that came in from Raj over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Raj writes, hey, Dave and Brad, I was wondering if you could dive into how you approach writing comedic characters in your long form stories. How do you make sure they have their own wants and needs and don't just become a prop? How do you approach writing the funny dialogue? Thanks for being a constant source of inspiration and joy, Raj says. Well, thank you, Raj. That's, that's legitimately yeah. delightful. Thank you for that. Brad, so you've got a long-form story now. Uh, yeah. it's, it's going on, uh, boy, 17 years now for Evil Inc., yeah. I would say? Yeah, easily, yeah, because I switched over to Evil Inc. in 2005, so it's it's been a while now. It's Yeah, okay, so uh, yeah. And so uh, now, how do you approach writing in comedic characters in your long form stories. See, as here's the problem with a question like this, because I, 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 I don't know that I can give a good answer to it. It, it. This is one of those things to me, like the question sounds to me like, Hey, Brad, how do I avoid stubbing my table on that coffee table over there? Your and toe, the yeah. answer is you when you're walking through the living room, pay attention to that coffee table. That way you won't stub your toe. If you're, if you're not paying attention to it, you might stub your toe, but if you're paying attention, you won't stub your toe. 
So other than to say, and we've talked in the past about, you know, uh, uh, building a Bible for your, for your comic, right? A a comic Bible. And I've, and we've talked about how I've got all my characters written down in there and I've got things like their wants and their needs written down. So when I'm writing a storyline, I can flip to the front of my sketchbook and, and review that. But all of that really, to me, falls under the heading of, hey, pay attention. (laughs) <laughs> Pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, I, 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 am I wrong? Or what am I missing? Uh, no, no, you're not wrong. In fact, in terms of paying attention, one of the most uh, clear versions I can give you of a cartoonist forcing themselves to pay attention. Uh, I went up to uh, Santa Rosa and I was visiting Stefan Pastis, who does Pearls Before Swine in his studio. This was when we were recording Stripped. And I look on his wall and he had 10 rules written in his own handwriting to himself, for himself, by himself, about what he needed to do in the comic strip. And I've talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about this in the past, but one of them, Brad, was don't overuse the crocodiles because the crocodiles are really popular (laughs) in his strip, but they are a very specific, almost tagline-y type of comedy that is like, it's kind of the comic strip version of Urkel walking in going, did I do that? You know, that kind of thing. And so uh, yeah. you can very easily overuse it. You know, by the way, what a yeah. great Urkel reference. I never That's thought that I would be Urkel bringing up rep. Urkel in today's uh, podcast, but there we go. Um, anyway, so we all know that sometimes a sitcom, they'll have a character that has a line or, a, or a, uh, an ism or some mm-hmm. kind of reaction. It gets a big laugh. And of course, the sitcom writers are like going to lean into that. They do it again on the next week's show. I got a big laugh again. But then it becomes uh, this kind of rote thing that they go to again and again and again. Because Uh, it's uh, after the hundredth time that Flo says, Mel, kiss my grits. It's not as funny as it was. It's not as funny. But at that point that, yeah, you've almost created a monster. And so to Raj's point, one of the things with comedic characters in a serious story is that we like sitcom, like a whole sitcom writing staff can lean on it like a crutch so that yeah. uh, it's like serious situation, serious situation, serious situation. But here's the punchline with Baba Booby coming in going, give me a goop goop. You know, like that's the thing he always says is give me a goop goop. And, and uh, maybe it's funny once, maybe it's funny twice, but it's yeah. you literally have to tell yourself, like Brad just said, to pay yeah. attention and yeah. be smarter than falling into the trap of recurring bits or recurring taglines or recurring uh, looks like a a stare off to the camera that that character might always do. Mm -hmm. You can use them, keep them in your toolkit, but don't go to them all the time. It's got to be one out of a hundred rather than one out of a dozen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, and it also means, and this hurts, there's nothing that hurts worse than this. It means writing a great punchline and knowing that it's not going to fit this situation. Right. Like it's you wrote a great punchline, but it can't come out of this character's mouth because it's the wrong character to deliver the punchlines. The other character is nowhere to be found or can't show up, you know, for any number of reasons. Uh, Nothing hurts worse than writing a beautiful punchline uh, that this character can't deliver. But if you go down that road, if you if you allow yourself to give in to temptation one time, you've really screwed up that character now or you you've become. Uh, an erosion process to that character. Right, right. And the problem is, is a great character definition, uh, allowing and making sure that they're not eroded uh, is going to help you write better stuff in the future as those characters are defined. But in this moment, holy cats, you got to say no to yourself and there's nothing that hurts worse. Yeah. And parallel to that too, when you do write a comedic character, um, honestly, giving them depth beyond comedy makes their comedy more powerful. So uh, rolling them in uh, as just a a single dimensional character that comes in to go, gibby gobby gooby, and then they roll out. That uh, only carries you so far. But if if you write that character with a fully dimensional life, there's a little bit of tragedy in their background. They Mm -hmm. they struggle with this or that, but because of that, that's why they choose to be optimistic and cheery, right? Something like that. 
that becomes a fuller character and and also lets you uh, take a moment within your serious long for comic to explore that. Listen, their life wasn't great either. You know, right. they had these shitty moments, but that makes their comedy all the more stronger because they're you know, we all use comedy as a survival mechanism. They're using their comedy as a survival mechanism for the shitty stuff that's come in their life. So mm -hmm. uh, one answer, as Brad said, is to pay attention. Another one I would say is write them as a full and complete character. Don't let them become one dimensional. Don't let them become. I mean, honestly, looking back on it, do you remember anything about the Urkel character, Brad, aside from did I do that? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Do you, re I, I, do you remember anything about Snarf than the fact that he would come on to the, the, the lion and go, Snarf, Snarf, and he was from the planet Snarf, <laughs> right. and he was, yeah. he was a Snarf, and he said Snarf. Like, that was the whole bit, was it was just right. the word Snarf. Yeah, and that's all. Yeah, and and frankly, that's all that he was meant to do. But it, but he, but it, it it didn't it didn't create a very memorable character, right? It it just it just was. It, it, and and it, you think that maybe they would have done a better job of storytelling if they would have fleshed that out a little bit. But yeah, and listen, they didn't. Is there is there room in comics for um, a character that's essentially a meme? Of course, of course, there is, and that's a little bit what Schnarf was. Mm -hmm. uh for, for i don't know why i'm going back to the thundercats what a random reference i, I but, love that you're putting the sh in snarf too he's become snarf like oh, was he's it maybe not snarf? He's, was it snarf it's, oh, it was just snarf. SN. You're, you're making him german i well, am you know snarf? What's funny? yes he, and so uh, uh snarf when he came when his people came to the united states they gave up their poll they tried to give up the polish pronunciation of the name yeah. but the the people that know know that snarf is actually from uh, <laughs> just outside of warsaw so <laughs> it's, uh, it's their own weird shame that they tried to give up their their last name they made it snarf it was actually snarf anyway um uh what am i going with oh so anyway but yeah so snarf became this little one-dimensional foil but also yeah. like a, a a plot driver like oh no snarf's been attacked by mumra right. or whatever we gotta go and save yeah. him uh and the same is true with urkel it's like urkel was coming in as a one-dimensional thing to to give a punchline on an otherwise uh, boring scene um yeah. but had they fleshed it out there could have been more there there you know on both yeah. of those so uh, that I think that's how you do it. To Brad's uh, point, you pay attention. The second one is you give them more depth. Absolutely. So, Dave, let's talk about one more topic today in the time we have left, and that is anniversaries. Uh, a. Frazier writes, in September, I will mark the 20th anniversary of my first webcomic series. Did you guys mark this or any other anniversaries? Any suggestions? I was thinking about a nice quality book that collects the entire series, which ended in 2017. So, Dave, first, uh, do we mark anniversaries? I, I see I see two, maybe three things to chat about in this question. Yeah. One is, do we mark anniversaries? That's one. Another one is making a, how do you go about making a nice quality book to mark an anniversary? That's two. Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the, uh, the somewhat awkward fact that this comic ended in 2017 and we're yeah. marking the 20th anniversary with a book now in 2023, maybe 2024. So yeah. let's talk about all three. So do we celebrate anniversaries? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great, it's a great marketing thing to tell people that you have staying power because yep. oddly, um, that, can have resonance with the percentage of your population of like, oh, this thing is sticking around. It's worth right. me reading Evil Link because Brad's not going anywhere. The story yes. will be finished. This arc will be finished. These characters will find uh, the complete story uh, at some point. Oh, hey, Dave's been doing it for 25 years. He's going to finish Drive, um, Hell or High Water. So yes, I'm going to invest in reading the 500, 600 pages already. So <clears throat> marking the anniversary is both a moment of celebration, it's a moment of, of, hey, come check out this comic that's been going this long, but it's also a marker for your readers that they should continue to stick with it because you have staying power. Yeah, we mark anniversaries, and we've talked about it on the show. I mean, I, I gave Dave all kinds of crap about uh, doing a 25th anniversary book. Remember, we were talking about making that six pages and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've talked about anniversaries a lot uh, and, and and mostly through marketing. Like Dave says, it is a great marketing thing. Whether it's a great publishing hook or not is another question because it's much, whether this is a good publishing opportunity uh, is not just, hey, the anniversary is coming up. The bigger question is, is there demand for this? Is this right. something somebody wants? Right. And, and also, like, uh, 
like I it, because I, oh, I've got an anniversary coming up as well. And I believe me for a for a for a hot minute, I envision something that reprints everything. Fables, Courting Disaster, oh. Greystone Inn, Evil oh. Inc. Right. They would. It, it would be an amazing tome <laughs> that number one would take all kinds of trouble to put together. And number uh, two, how many people are asking for this? Not a whole lot, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 I get it. I get the, uh, I, I get the desire to put all this stuff together. And, and certainly it might be an idea to do something that takes like the best fables comics and the best courting disasters and stuff like that and put them together uh, to mark the occasion. Uh, but for me, the bigger problem is a demand. How much of a demand is that for that? And, 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 and in my specific case, are there other publishing ventures that would be smarter for me to put on the front burner than something like this? Uh, I, 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 so it's much more complicated than uh, finding a date in a calendar. I find the date in the calendar is, is, the, the lowest part of this conversation, the bigger part is what's it going to take to put this together? And more importantly, is there a demand? Yeah. Demand is the, is the kicker there. And can you manufacture demand? Yes, absolutely. And that's worth keeping in mind when you're, when you're not driving driven, being driven by the date. So for example, in May, Brad, uh, it will be my 25th anniversary of putting the first Sheldon online when I lived in the UK, right? Mm -hmm. 25 is a natural marketing number. Like I could, yes, I could is. make hay out of that. But here's the thing, much like Brad, I know that me producing some all-inclusive Sheldon that had all four or 5,000 Sheldon strips in it, yeah. really, if I'm being honest about it, Brad, the person I would be producing that for was my own ego. Yep. You know, the average person is not looking to have the strip that I did in, I don't know, 2002 that I had the flu that day, but I had mm -hmm. to put a strip out and it's not very well drawn and it's not very well written. Yeah. But by God, we're going to have every Sheldon in here. So listen, what if if and when I do something to mark like the 25th anniversary? It'll be on my schedule based on can I do it, right? Do mm -hmm. I have, because by the way, all those files are going to be messed up over, 20, over 25 years. Oh. There's going to be so many different permutations of messed up, by the way. Just so, finding them. Yeah, just finding them all will be tricky. So but there'll be that. Uh, but second of all, it'll be more limited. And what mm. I'll probably do is not based on a date that no one cares about aside from me, like because that's honest. What I will yeah. do is I will generate interest based on, hey, it's the best of Sheldon. And uh, I'm yes. going to grab all the best of Sheldon's and I'm going to manufacture interest regardless of the date that this is a book you want to have. It's all Dave's personal choices of all uh, my fair. And people are going to line up to get that flyer. They're going to love it. They're going to think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the best damn pamphlet anybody's ever bought. Listen, it's going to be a trifold. It's going to be so nice. People are going to love it. It's going to be on really quality paper. So yeah, um, I can no. I can see the desire. Like I, I believe me, I get it. And 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 a best of twenty uh, fifth anniversary thing sounds sounds great. I mean, I I totally get it. So how how let's let's go to the. Uh, you said there were three things. Do you remember what the second yes. one was? The third one was the third one was that that the comic ended in twenty seventeen. And so yeah. a little bit, I want to relate that to the comedian idea of read the room. And yeah. so here's where this, this gets tricky. Yeah. You have every right to celebrate and to honor the fact that 20 years ago you started the comic. Um, but I am nervous that you are going to put out a book six years after it ended. Mm -hmm. And here's why I'm nervous. Not for any quality judgment on the work or the years that you put into it or how good or how bad it was. I have, I have, I'm putting no judgment on that. What I am saying right. is, in the intervening six years since you stopped that, what happens is all the readership melts away back into the internet. You know, we're, we spend all these years sort of gathering up people. Like I got four people from 250,000 reading them on Reddit. Well, I add them to the pile. And next week I get right. 10 more people on Twitter from a million people <laughs> reading it. Well, I add those to the pile. But what happens is when you end a comic, slowly but noticeably, they all drift away and they all kind of go yeah. back into the ether again. 
And so and normally that would be a normal replacement rate. I lost 2% of people this month. I gained 2.5% of people this month, right? right but then right. what happens is when you end a strip, it becomes ever increasingly harder to sell to an audience that's not looking for nor going back to the site nor following you on social media anymore. Mm. What I'm getting at is I just I'm worried for you that maybe that ship has sailed in terms of the time to kickstart a book for that. Am right. I wrong, Brad? No, no, it's no, I, you're, it, you, it's something that you got to take a moment and think about right yeah. now, even, even now we don't know, uh, even if you've been doing another web comic in the intervening years between mm -hmm. 2017 and now, let's say you've been doing a different comic, a, a spinoff or an, or a completely different, uh, but the, the problem that you're going to grapple with is do people want this thing that hasn't been updated for several years? Uh, and, and, and that's something that you're going to have to find a few ways to find out whether it's, you know, kind of, uh, I, you know, what I don't like is the person that just says, because this gets you bad results. If you go out on social media or out on your website and say, Hey, I'm thinking about doing a 25th anniversary of this strip. Would you buy it? Right. You see yeah. this happen all the time. Oh, gives yeah. you terrible results because of the old t-shirt thing I told you about years ago. The first person that says that they would buy that on a t-shirt is the first person to disappear when you put out the t-shirt. Yes. By the way, Dave, I saw you do that. I, <laughs> we got to talk about if that guy ever clicked the link on Instagram because I saw you do something that I love doing. Somebody said, oh my God, I love this. I buy a print and you go, here's where you can buy it. Link, like, click, click immediately. By the way, by the way, no purchase yet. No, no purchase. purchase. I know. <laughs> Just, it's oh, my favorite I, thing to do though because because you know you see it happen they they're yes. literally so effusive so many exclamation points oh my god i love this comic i would buy it as a print is there a way to buy it as a print i give the yeah. link no purchase no so, purchase yeah I, and, and uh, you're just a better proving person brad's than point, I am. proving brad's point yeah yeah and 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 you've actually got this set up so it's automatic yep. for you yep. you've got it through topatico so it's automatic it's just every time you do a comic it, it they they have this ready to go right yes Yes, I don't have that. All right. Uh, which is fine, which is fine. But I'm so petty. If somebody does that to me, I run to Redbubble, upload it immediately. <laughs> it takes me 10 minutes. I've got this down pat. And I it, within 10 minutes, I send them the link. And it, it's the same thing. They don't they don't they don't buy it because yeah. they were lying. And they, they're, they're not lying because they're mean people. It's a friendly lie. They're right. They're lying to be friendly. It's, yes, a, it's, yes. it's 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 not great. It's not a great choice, but they don't see it that way because they they're not in, in they're not putting things into the world the way we are. They It's a friendly lie. As Benjamin Franklin once said, it's the social lubricant that that makes things happen in terms of like Brad says, Dave, I love you. How you're always wearing a baseball hat. That's yeah. social lubricant. He doesn't love the baseball yes. hats, nor does he right. love me in baseball hats. It's just yeah. a way to start the conversation, make ourselves feel good about ourselves as friends. <laughs> and we start our day. And and that's fine. By the way, it's fine. that They're like, I love this comic so much. I I'd get yeah. it as a print. Oh, well, here's the link. Nothing. OK, well, that's yeah. fine. Because at this point, 25 years in, I know what's going to happen. It's, it's not yeah. new to me it stung a little bit in my 20s when i would do it i some by, by the way i wouldn't just do it with a link brad i would produce a whole line of shirts when someone would say oh i love this yep. you got to put it yep. on a shirt well dumb shit mcgee over here would run down to downtown los angeles to the fashion oh district my God. make a shirt put it on the site and it wouldn't sell i'm saying this because yes. this is what i was talking about before manageable size mistakes i learned yep. from stuff like that 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 could be ruinous. No one would buy those shirts and it would take me five years to sell those off, you know? Yeah. So don't, whatever you do, don't say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this book. Would you buy it? Because you're going to get disappointing results. Yes. But you could start posting some of those old strips on social media and see what the reaction is. You could post some of that stuff on your website and say, hey, I was thinking about this comic I used to do. Here's a couple of my favorites and see what the reaction is, Right. And, and you can start to gauge a little bit uh, of whether people are still interested in this thing by doing that. And the upshot is, of course, uh, and, and, and I always say this, if you decide that you just want to take a shot, there are worse things than a failed Kickstarter. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. If you decide to put this together, it's all stuff that's done. So you're not doing new work. You're doing a cover for it, which is fine. Uh, if you, you can always just say, ah, take a shot. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. If you don't, there's, 
it's not like you're you're out of money like Dave was going down to get a bunch of T-shirts printed. Yes. You could just say, OK, this is the thing I, I tried. It didn't go ah, live and learn. I picked up a lot of information from that and go on. You can you can always do that, too. Yeah. And I, I will say this, too. If the if the Kickstarter doesn't go, you got to yeah. listen to that. Yeah. Don't, yes, don't, you do. Don't offset print that book if if the Kickstarter didn't oh. go. Yeah. Worst case, put it on some digital press that can, people can order it, you know, uh, uh, on yeah. a one by one basis. Don't if, if the if you put it up there after six years of it not being online and the Kickstarter doesn't go, you got to listen to it. That's yeah. that's the world telling you, all right, this book, uh, as much loved as it is in your heart, the audience has has drifted away for it. Yeah. And and speaking of audiences drifting away, if we keep running our mouths, our audience is going to drift away. So let's bring this one in for a landing where I get to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my close personal friend, Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net. And this episode was edited by the ever-wonderful Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And by the way, don't forget to keep giving us those five-star reviews on Spotify. We are consistently cleaning it up over there on Spotify, and we, we love it so much. So thank you for listening on Spotify. And if you are, if you haven't done it yet, go over there and give us a review. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash schnarf. <laughs>